In such an environment that we are in, it's very hard for us to be in awe of the Savior. We are not amazed. We don't revere Him as we ought to. Our focus has been lost. I ask you this, when was the last time that you stood in awe of God? Good evening, everyone. Let's turn to Psalm 46. And may I ask you all to stand as we read just these four verses. So Psalm chapter 46. And we'll read together verses 8 to 11. Or verses 8 to 10. I'll end with 10. So verse 8, let's read it out loud together. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burdeneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. You may now take your seats. Thank you. It's my first time preaching at the afternoon service, and it really does leave you feeling drained. I feel pretty <laughs> empty, but I, I know God will give me the, the strength and the power to be able to preach this. But to start it off, Ulysses S. Grant. Has anybody heard of that name before? Pastor White, a couple of others. I personally have never heard of him before I did this sermon. So. But he's recorded in history as an American war hero. His heroism resulted in him being elected, elected as the 18th President of the United States. But why was Ulysses S. Grant known as a hero? Well, prior to being the President, Ulysses Grant was a soldier in the Union Army. As a teenage man and as a young man, Ulysses didn't care much about politics, education, or the church. But he did have great interest in riding horses. He just had this natural affinity and talent in horse riding. He was a great horseman. His ability in horse riding, along with his bravery and courage, and along with his strategic thinking, resulted in him quickly rising up in rank in the army. He eventually became the commanding general of the entire Union Army, the head honcho, during the time of the American Civil War. But the reason I bring up Mr. Ulysses is to highlight one of his abilities. And it's not his ability to ride a horse. It's not his ability as an infantryman or a horseman. But he had this amazing ability to remain calm in chaotic situations. In 1863, the Union Army planned to gain control of the important Mississippi River. It was an important location. It was integral to their... Uh, efforts for both sides, and this was a battle and a task that could effectively decide the outcome of the war, the battle for the Mississippi River. But you can imagine the battles that were taking place here alongside this river, and you can imagine the chaotic scene that was taking place. There may have been soldiers on both sides lying dead or lying lying down gravely wounded and losing blood at a fast rate. You could see maybe horses 
tumbling forward and, and losing their lives. You could see broken nature, nature being uh, uh, just completely destroyed by the, the war. You could see this chaotic scene. And in such a scene, most people would be panicked, would have a sense of stress towards them. But General Grant, he remained calm. He remained serene, as if nothing incredible was happening around him. As if nothing stressful was happening around him, General Grant remained calm and composed. One of the captains in his army, James Bull, writes about this fact and says, We could see the wreaths of smoke from the guns on either side. We could hear their deafening roar and see the shot of the rebel strike. We could also see our own shells bursting in the woods. During this entire time, General Grant was steaming backwards and forwards in his little steam tug, sometimes getting in range of the rebel guns to see how the fight was progressing. He looks as cool and unconcerned as though nothing was going on that could interest him. In the middle of war, in the middle of such a chaotic scene, he looks as cool and unconcerned as though nothing was going on that could interest him. Yet the quick eye could discern that it was not the calmness of apathy. It's not that the fact that he didn't care about soldiers dying. It's not the fact that he didn't care about defeat or loss. But he was calm because of his confidence. In the face of danger, calamity, and uncertainty, General Grant displayed tremendous poise. Calm. Now let me quickly transition into a, a seemingly unrelated topic. Teen camp. We just came from teen camp just about two weeks ago. And one of the blessings of teen camp, one of the greatest features of teen camp, is the fact that it is isolated. It's in an isolated location. You are cut off from the world. You are cut off from distractions that you have at home. It's in this little forest, and there's a little space in the forest, and that's where teen camp is held. And that is actually one of the best things about teen camp because of the fact that it is an environment that is perfect for spiritual learning. If we were to hold teen camp in, say, maybe Guilford or Surrey or in like the mid middle of a city, it wouldn't have the same impact as it would have if we were to do it in the forest, cut off from the rest of society. The calm, serene environment of camp is one of his greatest blessings, greatest uh, attributes. In camp, with no worldly distraction, the main focus of each and every single worker and, and teenager is the Word of God. We have games, we have team activities, we have uh, the, the, the food as well. But we start off every single morning with quiet time, followed by uh, a lunch, a, a, a morning chapel. We have a, a couple of hours in between, and then we have an evening chapel. We end off the night with uh, a tent devotion as well. So the whole day is kind of segmented with spiritual learning. And it is the perfect environment to do so. You're cut off from the world. You're in a calm environment. There's no distraction. It is easy to learn and talk to God. Now to connect teen camp with Mr. Ulysses S. Grant, as I've said just now, the environment in teen camp is perfect. It's perfect in terms of improving your personal walk with God. It is the perfect environment to do so. There are no distractions. The Word of God is the main focus. 
There are no stresses as well. It's the perfect environment to learn and grow as a Christian. But we are not always in such a calm, serene environment. The environment that we enjoy in camp is only once a year. Only once a year are we actually taken out from mainstream society and allowed to just kind of think and meditate alone with God, with no phone to distract us, with no media to to tempt us. Our normal environment, our day-to-day, as we live our lives, it tends to be stressful. Whether it's stress because of what you do at work and the responsibilities that you have to do, whether it's the finances and the bills that you have to pay for, Maybe it's, the, maybe it's family problems. Nevertheless, our normal life, our day-to-day, is quite chaotic. It's quite stressful. And in such an environment, it's hard to learn. It's hard to grow. And it's hard to hear God's still, small voice. Mr. Ulysses, in the face of chaos, was able to remain calm and serene allowing him to have better judgment. He was the general, the commanding general of, a, of an army. A lot of men's lives were, he was responsible for. If he were to lash out, maybe because of how stressed he was, because of how chaotic the scene was, a lot of people would have died. He would have made poor choices. He would have made poor judgment calls. And through, he could have thrown in a lot of battles and made them lose. When we act from a disheveled state of mind, we make poor decisions. We make messes that we are going to have to clean up afterwards. But if we practice staying calm, even when everything around us is chaotic, we make better choices and we stay on course. And that is the the topic and the focal point of the sermon. To be able to remain still, be still and calm in an ever-moving and ever-changing chaotic world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this verse, specifically that you laid on my heart to be able to preach to, the, to Grace Baptist Church. pray that you give me the strength, the power, the energy, Lord, as I go through these next 30 minutes. And I pray, Lord, for the hearts of the, those listening as well. I pray that you speak to them regarding this one principle. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So the phrase, be still, We read that just now in verse 46, verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. That phrase is found seven times in the Bible. But I wanted to focus on one of the times it's mentioned, and it is found in Psalm 4, verse 4. Psalm 4, chapter 4. So let's read this verse out loud together. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. From this verse, we get an equation of sorts. And I believe that if we were to take to heart the message of Psalm 4, verse 4, then I I believe that we can learn to be calm, and still in a very chaotic environment. To be able to replicate that environment that we have at camp as teenagers, and to be able to take that and apply that to a chaotic world. Now why is it important to be still? Why is it, why is it important to be calm? 
The reason why we emphasize being still, or the reason why the Bible emphasizes the being still, is because only when we are still and calm, only then can we truly listen to what God is trying to teach us. God speaks to us through his still, small voice. Now, we, go, we meet a lot of people in our lives, and a lot of people have different speaking uh, volumes. Some people have very loud speaking volumes. You kind of have to put your uh, fingers in your ears because they, they just speak very loud as their main volume is just loud, loud, loud. But there's some people, they just speak very quiet. Their main speaking volume is a whisper. And when you talk to them, you have to really kind of pit, stop doing anything else you're doing and just pay attention to what he's saying. And sometimes God speaks to us very boldly and he shows to us something very clear but a lot of times he speaks to us through his still small voice and if we were running around chaotic and stressed out we won't have the opportunity to hear what God is speaking to us about we have a chaotic environment but when we give into that chaotic environment and it affects us we effectively block out God's teaching and God from really speaking to us through his word and through his messages, thereby hindering our spiritual growth. The reason why we often don't grow spiritually as much as we would like is because we are just always running around and we can never be still and calm. When you are in that mental state of stress, hurry, and, and just kind of everything around you is chaotic in your mind, when you are in that mental state, you could imagine how little you would actually learn from God's word. But is it possible to really clear our, our minds from all of that emotion? Is it possible to do that? Now I liken, again as I've said, I liken um, God speaking to us sort of like how if I were to stand here and Johan were to say something from the sound booth in a normal speaking voice. Now if he were to just speak normally to me from this distance, I probably wouldn't be able to hear what he has to say. He would have to yell. He would have to vocalize. But from this distance, speaking normally, I probably couldn't hear what he's saying. There's two solutions to that. Because I know that if I just stay where I am, nothing's going to happen. I still won't be able to hear him, and nothing's going to happen. I have two options. One is to shorten the distance between him and I. To walk up to him or he walks up to me and we have a conversation face to face. We shorten that distance because the greater the distance you are to somebody, the harder it is to hear his voice. The harder it is to hear their voice. And the second option is to remove all of the other distractions present. So maybe while he's speaking to me, everybody else in the auditorium is speaking. How, is it, how could I possibly hear what he has to say if everybody else is speaking? So I have two solutions here. Get closer to him and remove worldly, or remove distractions, period. And I believe in verse 4-4, you see that kind of reflected. Because we see three instructions here. And the first one I wanted to highlight is, the first phrase and first instruction listed is, to stand in awe. To stand in awe. When we are in awe of something, you could say that, <clears throat> that we are amazed. That's how we use it in, in our world. We say that we are amazed. When we went to Alberta just last week, 
And Alberta is a beautiful place in terms of the, the nature around there. I would be standing in front of these beautiful mountain ranges, ra ranges. I would be standing in front of these beautiful lakes. And I could just, I couldn't help but be in awe of God's creation, of how beautiful it is to see it in person. I have the same feeling when I just look at animals. I'm a big animal guy, and when I, when I just observe animals, sometimes I'm in awe of how well God has designed each and every single animal. I'm amazed. But the biblical definition of awe, it also does carry with it a sense of amazement. You are amazed. But the two main factors, you could say, in awe is fear and reverence. When you say that you are standing in awe of something, that means you fear or revere it. So what are we to fear and revere? The, the verse doesn't say, but it's quite easy to know what he is, what, who he is referring to. We are to stand in awe of God. To stand in awe of God. We often have difficulty remaining calm in stressful situations, and that's very understandable. But in those stressful situations that we find ourselves in, a lot of times we forget completely about God. In the midst of the chaos, we forget about God completely and we take Him out of the equation. For temporarily, we just think about Him later. Now, an illustration for me, I found myself multiple times where I would walk up to my car and my car won't start. It's like a problem that maybe some of you have already experienced yourself. You go in your car, you're expecting to go home, it's already late at night. You press the fob, the key fob, and boom, nothing's happening. The car won't start. And obviously, immediately, I, I panic because it's already late at night. I, twice, I found myself, um, my car won't start at 12 midnight and 1 a.m. Well, the, my, my new car and the, the, the car they gave you. So it's both in Tadala's house, too. So there's something wrong with this parking lot. People are draining my battery there. <laughs> but, I returned one time through, uh, we went snowboarding and I, we got back to this place around midnight, ready to go home. I was so tired. I pressed the key fob, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. It's dead. And immediately, when I'm faced with this problem and this chaotic situation, because I'm trying to go home, I have church the next day, I have to wake up early, obviously I'm going to panic and stress out. Obviously, in my mind, I'm going to start thinking about, about solutions. My immediate solution was first usually to call my dad. Daddy, can you can I have your BCAA card? <laughs> can, you, can you get a tow, car, a tow driver to tow my car out of here? But obviously my dad would be asleep at that point. So my only solution was to doll. So to doll, I was like, doll, do you have uh, the, the, what is it called? <laughs> the starter cables to jumpstart your car. And he said, I don't got anything like that. So we were kind of stuck there. And so eventually the solution was he dropped me off home, which I'm very grateful for, because we couldn't solve it that day. But when my car won't start, I think of everything, all of my mind is focused on finding a solution to fix it somehow, to fix it myself, to get somebody to help me fix it. But I completely remove God from the picture. I don't think about praying. I don't think about just calming down and just asking God what I should do. But because of the chaotic situation I find myself in, that frenzied state of mind, I think of everything else but God. Now this is a minor situation I described. We all face situations as chaotic and wor or worse than that. And we have the same reaction. We think of all of the solutions that we could uh, apply, but God is never in part of that solution. 
We forget about God. Problems have a natural way of making us forget about our Creator. Sometimes we get very angry because of the problem and we forget how good God has been in the past for us, how much He's blessed us. We forget that He has the ability and power to deliver us from that problem and scenario. But again, we forget about Him. We forget that He has the ability to supply our needs. Immediately, I started stressing out because, oh, what if I need to get this part replaced? What if I have to get something, I have to go to the mechanic and spend money again? And I start panicking. But I forget that God has the ability to supply our needs. We forget all, of, all about God in the face of trouble. We see this in the Bible. When Jesus, when he invited Peter to walk on water with him, what did Peter do? At first, Peter was pretty, pretty good. He took a couple of steps into the, into the body of water, and he was doing well. He was walking towards his Savior. He was, he was making good pace. But what happened? It was the midst of a storm. And he looked around at all the waves, at all the problems that could possibly fall upon him. And in that, when his focus was diverted away from Christ and onto the problems, what happened to Peter? He fell and he sank. But again, Jesus rescued him from that problem. But nevertheless, the focus of that is the moment he diverted his focus away from God and onto the problems, that's when he failed and that's when he fell down the water. He got distracted by the great waves. But that is exactly the same trap that we fall into when it comes to our chaotic world. Because we will do well when we keep our eyes focused and glued on Jesus Christ and God. When He is our main focus. But when you get distracted by the great waves that are around you, maybe it's financial, maybe it's work, when you get distracted and you focus on those problems and those problems alone, that is when you will feel lost and, and, and in danger. That is when you will panic. In the text that we opened up with in Psalm 46.10, the, the first phrase is, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In camp, it's easy to be reminded of God. Because all around you is God's creation. A, ma a majority of what we do in the day is centered around God. That's why it's so easy to keep God in our, in our, in our focus. But if, God, if you don't have that environment, God will never be in the forefront of your mind. You'll forget who God is. You'll forget how great He's been. You'll forget all of His characteristics and attributes that are so encouraging for us. In such an environment that we are in, it's very hard for us to be in awe of the Savior. We are not amazed. We don't revere Him as we ought to. Our focus has been lost. I ask you this, when was the last time that you stood in awe of God? Where you really took a step back and you really just we're speechless about how good God has been to you. When was the last time you took that step backwards and just admired and revered God as you ought to about how good He's been to you? When was the last time you were so amazed 
at something that you read at God, in, in God's Word or something that you listened to in a sermon? When was the last time you were so enthralled by, uh, by God's Word that you couldn't think about anything else but the Word of God? When was the last time you were, in that, were that much in awe of God's Word? Are we standing in awe of God? A Christian author asserts, I am convinced that many of us live and do ministry day after day without any awe whatsoever. We live days, maybe even weeks, without wonder and amazement. What should stun us doesn't stun us anymore. What should leave us in silence, amazed worship has become so familiar that it barely gets our attention. We walk through our daily, daily lives without an overwhelming sense of gratitude, and we don't notice the glory displayed all around us that ultimately points us to the glory of God. We have become desensitized to how amazing God is. But if you want to learn to be still in a chaotic world, you have to start with the ability to stand in awe about how amazing God is. As I allude back to my illustration with Johan, one of the first solutions was to get closer to him. If you want to learn how to hear God's still small voice, the first solution is, again, stand in awe of him, and you do that by getting closer to him. By moving further away from God, you lessen your ability to be able to hear his, his leading, to hear his small voice. But the closer you get to God, the clearer he speaks to you the easier it is for you to be able to discern what His will is for your life. But the further you move away from Him, the harder it is you make for yourself. Stand in awe of God, and because of that awe, get closer to Him, and draw closer to Him. And when you do that, you're a step closer to hearing God's still small voice. The second one, the second instruction that we find in Psalm 4, verse 4, is stand in awe and sin not. Stand in awe and sin not. The problems in our life come in two main flavors, you could say. The first are problems that we didn't bring upon ourselves. But the second are problems that we did bring upon ourselves. And these self-imposed problems tend to be the result of sin. Something that we do, we, we entertain sin secretly and introduces a raft of, of problems in our lives. These are self-imposed. A main cause as to why our, our lives can be so chaotic at times is could be because of our sin that we introduce ourselves, because we're not living right. We all struggle with different things, but eventually some of us, we give in to the struggle. We stop resisting the temptation, and we just give in to the sin. Israel gave in to idolatry. David gave in to adultery. The king Saul gave in to bitterness and jealousy. Jonah gave into disobedience. And each of these sins that these men and nations committed introduced a whole slew of problems and resulted in their unrest. After committing those sins, they found themselves in situations so chaotic. It's because of their own sin. They could have avoided all of those problems altogether if they had lived right. But because they decided to sin, because they chose to sin, they introduced unrest into their lives. And we make that same mistake. Life is already difficult as it is, but we introduce more by living unrighteously. Your life will never be calm. Your mental life, your spiritual life will never be calm and serene as you would want it if you are always entertaining a secret sin that you have. All of us struggle with different things. 
But if you keep entertaining that one vice that you keep and protect, you will always have unrest spiritually. You will never be truly calm spiritually. Now, I won't belabor this point because it's a simple point. But notice with me its relation to the first instruction. The more you stand in awe of God, the more you will grow to understand and appreciate his characteristics, one of them being his absolute holiness. Once you get closer to God and you really are revering, you're in reverence to him, and you understand who he is, the more you understand his holiness and the fact that he really cannot, you can't reconcile God with sin at all. He's perfectly holy. And the more you realize that, that's when you'll obtain the key to defeating the sins that are plaguing you. Once you understand how much God hates sin and how perfect he is, the more driven you will be to eradicating all sin from your life, be it great or small. And that is the first step is you stand in awe of God, you realize all about God, you, you study God and you fully understand who he is in your life. And from that knowledge of God, it will drive you to stop sinning because you realize how filthy that is in the sight of God. The key to defeating sin is first realizing and standing in awe of God and you will sin not. They, have, they are connected to, with one another. The sins that we view as trite and insignificant are not so insignificant in his eyes. They are still sin at the end of the day and we cannot justify sin because all sin will affect our relationship with God ultimately. The more we entertain sin, the more we numb our hearts, the more we plug our ears from his word. How are you supposed to hear God's still small voice if your heart is closed, if your ears are plugged, and you put a blindfold over your eyes, that's what sin does. Our song, our prayer, or the chorus earlier, open our eyes, that's the prayer that we ought to be making. And the last point, stand in awe, sin not. And what is that last sentence in verse 4? Commune with your own heart upon your bed. Commune you with your own heart upon your bed. And it is essentially a time of self-reflection. Is it a time where you really study in a way yourself? The more we self-reflect, the better we will understand our life, the better we will, and the more we will be at peace. There are many scriptures in the Bible that encourage self-reflection. Even when we do communion, one of the first things that we do before even partaking in communion is um, Pastor White goes through the scriptures and then he encourages us to self-examine our hearts. Have we been living right in the last month? Have we been entertaining secret sins? We are called to self-examine before partaking in the communion. And it's, it, for me, it does wonders to be able to just look at the whole month as a whole and see, have I been living right? But imagine if you were to do that self-reflection every single day as this writer prescribes. The verse, the writer suggests that you do it as you lie in bed. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. Some people may like to self-reflect the moment they wake up. They, 
they maybe they do their devotions and they have a journal and they self-reflect. I personally like doing it after the day is over to self-reflect once the whole once my night has been basically finished. I ask myself, I look at myself and see what needs to be improved. What did I do right? How was my walk with the Lord today? Self-reflection. You might be asking, what is there to reflect on? All I did today was stay at home. Not, I didn't do anything. What can I reflect on possibly? That, first of all, that, that, the habit of just staying home doing nothing all day, that's something to reflect on. But there are four, there's a lot of things primarily that we can look on. But the first thing is God. Again, we lose our focus of God because we don't think about Him a lot. It's as simple as that. When you don't think about something, you don't remember whatever that was. But you can have this time of self-reflection and you can just think while you're in bed, think about how good God has been to you. What troubles He's rescued you from. What tribulations He's led and guided you and directed you in. Think about all of His attributes and how they have affected your personal life. And the more you do this, the more you really just think about the goodness of God and all of the things He's done for you, the more you will appreciate Him. And the more you appreciate Him, the less likely you will lose focus and lose your, your gaze upon God. Think on God and everything that He's done for you. Think on God's Word. Think on all of the things that you read in your Bible that day. Or maybe you were on Sunday night, you listened to three, two or three sermons. Think on the sermons that you've, that you've heard and listened to. Again, a common thing that we do is we take a sermon or we hear a sermon. Maybe we grab a principle from it at the end of the, the hour. But, the but by the time we get home, whatever principle that we may have gotten from the sermon, we've already thrown away. How are we supposed to apply God's word to our lives if we just throw away the principles that we learn from the, the word of God. And this is the time of self-reflection will allow you to take the, the, your devotion, to take the sermons that you've read that night. That time of self-reflection will allow you to find a way where you can practically apply God's word to your life. And from that point, you can actually start making headway into your Christian walk. Reflecting on God's word is the best way to hear God's still small voice. It is the absolute best way to talk to God and for God to talk to you. Reflect on God's word. Put away your phone. Before you go to bed, when you go in your bed, put away your phone temporarily. First of all, it actually affects your sleep cycle if you use your phone right before you go to sleep. But also, it distracts you. It distracts you from maybe the people that you want to talk to. It, social media distracts you. All bunch of things will distract you if, you if you allow it to. But always take that small time in your day to reflect on everything that God has been teaching you about. And the last thing you can reflect on are your struggles and sins. It is important to be self-aware of all of your weaknesses. But you might be saying that's discouraging. I don't want to know what I'm weak at. But you need to know what you're weak in. One is because of the reason when you know what areas you're weak in, you can pray specifically for that area and for God to give you strength in that area. If you know you're weak in, your, in, in, in giving, ask God, God, please give me the faith to be able to give. 
If you know you're weak in, in soul winning, you can pray and you can go to God and ask for courage. Lord, give me courage to be able to go, uh, to be able to evangelize and win others to Christ. When you know what your weaknesses are, you can bring them to God. It is important to self-reflect and understand your struggles and your sins. Sin specifically. Sometimes it requires a time of self-reflection to be able to understand that you may not be living right for the Lord. When we get distracted from our, when we get so busy from life, we forget that we have committed transgressions against God. But when we just pause at the end of the day, when we learn how to pause at the end of the night and just think on what did I do wrong? What transgressions have I committed against God today? And guess what? God will reveal those things to you. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you make that prayer sincerely, God will reveal things in our lives that are not right, that are not where it's, that is, that's not at the level that it ought to be. Ask God to search your heart for sins, for transgressions. Reflect on all of these things and they will lead you into becoming a better Christian. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Can we be still in an ever-moving, always chaotic world? In my opinion, I believe so. But in order to achieve that, in order to achieve that goal, let us keep in mind the three instructions given in Psalm 4.4. These three instructions will allow us to be able to tune in to God's still, small voice. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.